1: Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chapel. Hey, what's going on, everybody?
0: Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of bringing on Edward Sullivan and John John has been considered one of the premier executive coaches in Silicon Valley for over 25 years now. He built his career coaching in the C-suite at companies ranging from Apple and Nike to startups like DoorDash and Masterclass. And he has an earned PhD in organizational leadership from Purdue University. And then Edward Sullivan. He has been coaching and advising startup founders, Fortune 10 executives, and heads of state for over 15 years now. His clients include executives from Google, Salesforce, Slack, and dozens of other fast growth companies. He holds an MBA from Wharton and an MPA from the Harvard Kennedy School. So this conversation is going to be really great. I know, I know that, uh, that Edward and John have a book coming out. I'm super excited to talk through some of these things with them. So without further ado, Edward, John, thank you so much for joining me on the show. That's great thank to be here, Travis. Appreciate yes, it. Yes, of course, of course. So uh, before we jump into kind of personal stories here, I want to talk about the book because I know that's the, the main reason for you guys taking time out of your busy schedule to spend some time with us today. So uh, John, can you give us kind of a, a brief uh, synopsis rundown of the book? And most importantly, answer the question, why now? I've always found that find that question very fascinating uh, when people yeah. decide to come out with a book.
2: Yeah. This book is really uh, written with a lot of heart. And just uh, it, it really chronicles, I think, our journeys in working with a lot of CEOs and founders of companies. And when you look Travis at all the things happening with companies, people leading organizations. I mean, the great migration thing has been talked and talked and talked about. But I think the real problem, and I think the book solves some of these issues, is why is it people are not staying in these companies? And it usually is a result of just cultures, cultures that are not valuing people, cultures where people feel the, the relationships are not where they need to be. The leadership is not building a team that feels safe and is curious about their interests and their value to the organization. And so the book, I think, really chronicles a lot of uh, sort of examples of CEOs and leaders who have figured out how to lead with heart and get results. And so I love the fact that Edward and I took this journey together, took all of our clients, Apple, Nike, and some of the really high-flying startups like DoorDash and Masterclass and, and Hinge, so really cutting edge companies and really said, what's in common with these mm-hmm. companies that have done well in leading with heart. And that's what the book is all
0: about. And It's tough. It's tough to lead with heart as a leader. Edward, is there a specific place that you guys are wanting people to pick this book up or is just kind of like any retailer, anywhere where you buy books? Or is there like a specific website you're trying to send people to? A lot of people are going
3: to Amazon, obviously. Uh, it's also for sale on the Harper business website and on Target.
0: Okay, great, awesome. I am looking for so so and real quick. What's the what's the uh, the name of the book? I know I, I had it in front of me here. Leading
3: ago, with heart. Leading with heart. Perfect. Yeah. So if you're
0: listening right now, please before we even get into the rest of the conversation, trust me, you're going to want to pick up a copy of this book by the end of the conversation. So you may as well just do it now. Stop whatever you're doing. <laughs> Press pause. Leading with heart. Uh, go pick it up on Amazon, or if you're uh, if you're a retail person, you know, uh, make it a point of your next bookstore trip to to go pick up a copy of this book. I know that you will not regret that. I would love to jump into a bit of a conversation with you guys around coaching in particular and how you got into this field. And so we'll start with John. And I want to talk to you a little bit about your story. So we're going to rewind the clock a little bit, and then we're going to do the same thing with you, Edward, as well in just a second. But I find it fascinating because I I come from kind of like the online business world. And this world... There's so many coaches, and I'm sure you guys are aware of, of kind of the, the surplus almost of coaches and a lot of times the lack of quality in, in a lot of those coaches. And you, both of you, are are doing executive coaching, business coaching on quite literally the highest level possible. And so I'm curious on the journey that took you from being in high school to the point where now you're coaching, you know, Fortune 10 executives and things like that, because I doubt that it was you know fifteen year old you that came up with the idea to to coach Silicon Valley startups uh, back in the day. So uh, let's start just kind of thirty thousand foot view, John. Fifteen year old John, what were you doing? What, what wow, were you up to?
2: Fifteen years you know, old. How did that
0: progress? Yeah.
2: So it's it's so interesting. I don't think I've ever talked about this, uh, Edward, with you. But I was a swimmer all through high school and college, and I think I became a coach because of. A swimming coach, and her name was May Looney, and she was a long distance swimming coach. And she was a master at coaching, just in terms of uh, the way she presented ideas, the techniques for. I was a breaststroker, so uh, it was. She just was very, very good at giving technique, but the way she did it, she motivated me in a way, gave feedback in a way that was strong and tough but I always wanted to come back to her. She was the coach that I used all the way through. And so I think I've always wanted to be a coach. And so I was a swimming coach all through high school and college. That was my job. I was a lifeguard. And then I went and got, you know, sort of schooled in in organizational behavior and leadership. And then I taught at San Jose State for a number of years. And then I ended up having a leave of absence working at Apple. So Apple just bought my time for one year, and that's where I realized that I could actually take this coaching and really help. This is when Steve Jobs came back from being away to Apple. That's when the iPhone team was going, and I had the opportunity to work with that early team. And I wasn't really coaching at the time; Travis was more consulting. But I got into having one-on-ones with the team members, and. And all of a sudden, people said, would you work with me? Would you, would you give me some help one-on-one? And they needed help one-on-one. It wasn't just team stuff. It was like leadership stuff. And so my first company, Executive Edge of Silicon Valley, was started on early work at Apple and Nike. So uh, working with that team, I realized that there were a lot of individuals on that team leaders who needed individual coaching. And so I started doing one-on-one coaching. And that's where my first coaching company started. And then I just left the university all the way around, started Executive Edge of Silicon Valley, and then um, did that company for like uh, 15 years with lots of work with uh, particularly uh, established companies like eBay and Hewlett-Packard at the time, still work with Nike, Apple, still working with Apple. But realized that I really missed sort of cutting edge companies and started working with some startup companies and realized that this coaching could actually be helpful to early stage ventures. And that's where Edward came into the picture. I met Edward. I think that's probably already on the tape, but we uh, realized very quickly that this was a a relationship that was really going to make a difference. And so he brought this cutting edge kind of startup mentality with a lot of the skills that we already had in coaching and we just started coaching really top-level people, senior people at the cutting edge organizations.
0: So that's kind of the story. I read a book recently called Trillion Dollar Coach uh, about Bill Campbell. Was Campbell, it, in yeah, your workings yeah. at Apple, was that somebody that you um, kind of had a relationship with?
2: Oh yeah. He was he was always around. <laughs> so and uh he did not coach exactly like we coach uh Travis more around just really making change with leaders, getting business results, moving to IPO in some cases. He was an advisor, gave a lot of advice to people and did it in a really good way. He was a little more of a mentor than a coach.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Just
2: savvy, very savvy with, and Steve Jobs used him. Others used him as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sergey and uh, that seemed like a lot of people did. Yeah, Uh, Edward, same thing. Yeah. Uh, We'd love to hear just kind of, you know, 15-year-old Edward. How'd you get into it? and then up to? You, the you know, you know, it's funny. Joint. I was
3: thinking about your question. You know, um, like starting in high school. I think I was just graduating in high school when John was starting to coach at Apple. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so,
2: it's true. Our, so our, our journey is.
3: Yeah. He, he's just
0: blessed with more experience. He's just that's
3: blessed it. with more experience. Uh, and, I, and I'm
0: blessed by um, getting to work with him and learn from him. I was going to say, so my, I might have I barely been born at that time. So <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> 92, 92.
2: 92. Oh my, oh my God. You
0: were born in 92. 92. Yeah. Okay. Better. All right. Yes,
2: All right. Well, that when I graduated
3: dumb. high school in 93, oh, and John was go. going into Apple around 95, right? All this was <laughs> happening around the same time. My journey into coaching, if we rewind my career, it really began when a gentleman named James Carville asked me to go on the road with him. Uh, And James Carville is a political consultant. He worked for Bill Clinton. The original War Room movie was about him. Uh, This is all back in the 90s. And I met him in mid-2004, 2003, I think. And I was working on campaigns in the American Southwest I was like a campaign hack, right? Working in politics. And I speak Spanish fluently through school and traveling. And he found me and said, hey, we're looking for a campaign professional who speaks Spanish fluently. Do you want to go to Honduras to run a presidential election for a year? And I'm like 27 years old, 28 years old. And I thought, that sounds fun. Sure. Let's go do that. (laughs) Right. So I moved to Central America for a year. And that's probably an entirely different book someday that I'll write. All the adventures that ensued. But what happened is I embarked upon a like a 5 year career traveling around the world with Carville advising heads of state advising presidents wow. on campaign strategy on leadership on polling and ads and as much as they wanted to win the election and they wanted advice on you know what the speeches should be about they also just wanted to talk to me they wanted to hey you know they asked the gringo to come in like the back office and like they wanted to have someone to talk to about how hard it was being on a campaign Did they look presidential when they were standing up at the pulpit? Did I have any advice for them around um, leading the campaign better? And I got out of politics after a couple of years was starting to get too dangerous. The last time Carvel called me, he said, do you want to go to Kabul, Afghanistan to work in a presidential election there? I said, no, thanks. Uh, I don't care if it comes with a flak jacket. I don't think that's my bag. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even so, if the flat yeah, I jacket's grad full school. of cash. Yeah. I'll be exactly. From.
3: Yeah. You can't pay me enough. I went to grad school. I um, worked in Silicon Valley for a little while. And um, at some point in the um, like 2012 area, mm-hmm. my classmates from business school started asking me to, to coach them, which I thought was very strange because I'd never told anyone I was a coach. I didn't have any experience coaching. I resisted it actually a lot at the beginning. And they said, no, 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 you don't get it. You're actually a coach. You just have never admitted to yourself. (laughs) So I was drafted into coaching by my business school classmates. And it just kind of took off from there. You know, Within the first year, I was coaching at at Google and Slack and um, a handful of other big companies, Macy's. I was working with their whole digital team. And then I, I met John and his former business partner, Around 2015, John, was it?
2: Yeah, I think so. 2016. 15, yeah. I was
3: running my shop in the East Coast. They were running theirs on the West Coast. And they said, let's join forces. Mm-hmm. So they, they bought me out, in a sense, and asked me to come in and be CEO. And we've been, uh, John and I have been running Velocity together ever since.
0: Amazing. Amazing. I love yeah. that. Selfish question for you, Edward. What, what was your favorite spot down in Central America? Was it Honduras or did you kind of travel around to some of the other countries?
3: Honduras is very special, but it doesn't have a good surf coast. And I'm a, I'm a surfer. I don't know if you can see my surfboards over my shoulder here. So Costa Rica so Costa Rica, yes, and yeah. Nicaragua. When Nicaragua has, uh, when they have their politics in order, it's a really yeah. beautiful place to surf because not many people go there.
0: Yeah, that's very true. Um, uh, I did a backpacking trip down there, and one of one of the most when we initially scheduled Nicaragua, I wasn't excited about it at all. It was just a, a friend of mine was like, "I want to go," and I was like, "Okay, sure, whatever, we'll go." Yeah, and it ended up being one of my favorite countries, you know, uh, just yeah. because of that. It was just so low key. We went. Um, what was it called? Uh, San Juan del Sur. San just Juan like del this Sur. Little, yeah, this little uh, beach community. Um, lot. Exactly. lot of, did you go, of you go like, north of there to a place called Madeiras? Yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, we we stayed in San Juan del Sur the whole time we were there basically. And so yeah. we like traveled out, used it as a little bit of a hub. Um yeah. by yeah. a beautiful, beautiful place. And then we just uh, did a we just did a, a retreat for my mastermind last year in in Yaco in Costa Rica. And okay, um, it was like right after uh we the Airbnb we rented was rented by a bunch of professional surfers, like right before we got there because the <laughs> waves on on the coast of Yaco were just So, so big. So, yeah. um, But yeah, I love it down there. I'd had to ask the question.
2: Well, it's so interesting, Travis, how how Edward organizes his work and his life around surfing and skiing and the places and the number of times we've done retreats and conversations when he's been like out out of the water and then he comes back (laughs) in. But it's also been a real secret to our success and also to Edward's success as a CEO of the company. He leads the company. Uh, is just that idea of really acting out the idea that we take time to do mm-hmm. the things that are really important. I mean, we play hard, I think, at Velocity, but we also work really hard. And I think yeah. we actually practice that, Edward, in our own, in building our organization, but yeah. also in coaching our clients around giving themselves space in their lives for the things mm-hmm. that work. And they don't. They, they, don't. they so- often don't they're so driven, right? They're driven so hard yeah, to get yeah. results. They're sitting on 60 million. They have pressure from their boards. And yet coaching is often stepping back and giving space because they're often at their worst when they're not really rested mm. and playful and doing things important to them. So it's an interesting yeah. dynamic.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's so true. You make decisions from a place of scarcity rather than, yeah. Yeah. Rather than a place yes. of abundance yes. because yes. you're yes. so involved in the Inner workings of your own mind. It, yes, it's exactly. necessary, I think, to take a step back and work yeah. that in. It's really, really cool to hear that you do that. What What are some specifics around that? If you don't mind me asking, Edward, like a, in terms of is this something that you look at? Do You have time blocks in your calendar. Is like how how granular, how specific uh, are? are we yeah. Getting? So I mean,
3: I organize my personal calendar on a week to week basis around types of activities. So we have I run the business. I coach. And we're promoting the book right now, right? So I have two days set aside for running the business, two days set aside for working with my clients, and a full day set aside for promoting the book. When the book promotion is over, that day will roll back into um, uh, promoting or work running the business. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also tend to pack time in my calendar for rest between coaching sessions. I have lunch scheduled every day. I've got workout scheduled every day. I generally take at least half a day on Friday for reflection, for um, recreation. And throughout the year, John knows this, he kind of referenced it. I like to spend at least six weeks a year on a beach, right? Six weeks it a year. It might be, yeah. And, good and, and, I, and I work, I work the whole time, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, the only time I don't work is... Uh, John knows this. In the summer, if I'm on a sailboat, if I just literally right. can't get
2: sailing is in there too, right? Yeah,
3: sailing's the other fashion, All on
0: top of um, coaching, yeah. work retreats, man. That's the way to yeah. do it, right there. That's, That's the uh, way to do it. Yes, yeah. it yeah.
2: is. And the other thing with this, Travis, is that is that we also coach our clients to manage their weeks and their lives. Yeah. And this might be interesting to your uh, listeners around this, but I mean mm. things like. Uh, Being purpose-driven, right? A lot of our our leaders need to think about not only their personal purpose, what what they're doing for their their lives, because they also have a personal purpose, but the purpose of their organizations. And then to step back and say, for this week, what are the things that are driving my own personal purpose when I'm at my best? What also am I doing that's really important in priorities and driving the company? And how should my calendar this week match those priorities? Our clients, right, Edward, are so driven by their calendars, and a lot of times their administrative assistants put these things on their calendar that are not driving their purpose at all. They also don't think about strategy. I mean, I get so much feedback from board members and uh, other people that we work with. Where is the long-term strategy? We, we, we know what you want to do now, but you've got to start thinking long-term, And unless you put time in that week for strategy. Uh, it's not going to happen. So how do you do that? And what do you do when you think about strategy and who do you talk to? And so calendar management and time management and priorities and purpose, we work a lot with very tactical ways that they can drive what they're really wanting to achieve.
0: So it's remarkable too, that you guys work with companies that are that range from startups to, you know, Nike that's been around mm-hmm. for decades <laughs> because I would have to imagine those conversations are vastly different in terms of calendar management and what you can do when you're in a startup and you have 12 employees versus you are running a Fortune 10 company with thousands of employees. So, so I, I, I have a, a software startup um, yeah. called, called yeah. Guestio. It's like a marketplace that connects um, content hosts and expert guests for their shows. And at first, like the first you know, year and a half, I was just doing everything, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, you like, you take this hat off and you put on this hat, you take this hat off and <laughs> put on this hat and you, you, you do everything, do everything. And, you know, mm-hmm. I had, I had my, my assistant and she basically, I did everything and then she did everything else, you know what I mean? <laughs> that, that I didn't do. And then at some point, at some point it gets to the point where, where you can start spending more of your week in the strategy seat. Right. Because, mm-hmm. like, what, what my kind of question is now is like, now that we, like we're, we're, we're having growth, we're having, you know, so far this year about 40% month over month um, growth in, in revenue for the business. And I often wonder where I should be spending a lot of my time because I really enjoy the strategy part. But also, I know that I can't be existing in 12 months from now because I also know that I don't have everything set up completely in an operational, from an operational standpoint. For it to be working on a day to day, so I have to be in the day to day. But I know that my yeah. best strategic value to the company is in long term, twelve months out, eighteen months out. Where mm-hmm. should that target be, as like a CEO or as an executive? How do you start like thinking about uh, uh, spending your time in terms of day to day versus long term strategy? Yeah. This, this one one you, yeah. yeah, this is a good
2: one for you, Edward. Yeah, yeah, um, for you.
0: Yeah, you know, as you're making the transition out of chief do everything
3: officer <laughs> into like a proper CEO, which it just sounds like. You were very much chief do-everything officer, and now you're in the middle of that transition. A lot of CEOs experience, it's difficult to let go. Right? It's difficult to let go of being really close to the work, close to the transactions, close to the customer. If you're building a product, sometimes the CEO feels like, I am the product. Right? Mm-hmm. My vision, this is my baby. I can't divorce myself. But that becomes the, the greatest bottleneck to scaling of a company when the CEO holds on too much. And then the next bottleneck is when the C suite is holding on too much. Mm-hmm. When you've got 200 employees and 5 people are making all of the decisions, right? So, as quickly as possible, we work with our clients to push important strategic decisions down into the organization mm-hmm. so that ultimately a high functioning, you know, stage 2 CEO is focusing on cash in the business, do we have enough cash to keep the doors open, talent, right? Are we recruiting and setting the right cultural framework? to um, inspire people to be creative, and vision. Where are we going, yeah. right? So where you're at right now, this in-between stage, you're doing a lot of what we call zooming in and zooming out, yeah, right? totally. And you're kind of like you're flying at like this 35,000 feet, and they're like, oh, wait, a, hold on. I see something that is not matching my lens for quality. And you zoom in, you work with that person. Hopefully, you do some coaching with that person instead of just marching in and telling them what to do. Mm. right? We want that conversation to be developmental. So they leave having learned something instead of they leave the conversation with the task being done well. Sure. Right. Coaching
0: them on becoming a better decision maker themselves. Coaching them on becoming a better decision maker.
3: Yeah. We talk about in the book, you know, using, taking your lenses off and putting them on other people. Mm. You know, you want other people to see through the lens of quality or the lens for the business that you have. That's how you achieve real scale as a as a CEO
0: so uh, at the threat of turning this into just like a personal coaching session for me. <laughs> right. We love it. Um, Let's go. Let us do it, Travis. <laughs> this often happens.
2: When we do interviews, yeah. they'll say, can we get some personal coaching? Right. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, so, funny. So, so right now, I'll give, kind of give you bird's eye view. And I, I, I honestly think this is super helpful for a lot of people listening um, as yeah. well. Yeah, uh, We're we're at the point right now where like my, my assistant has become my chief of staff slash operational manager. She basically make sure the business runs. And then I moved more into generating sales, driving revenue, business development. We just hired our first couple of sales reps to start bringing sales away off of my plate. And then she's kind of in the operational role. My question uh, becomes at some point, like, how do you know you're ready for like your first kind of C-suite hire, like an actual like a six-figure salary type hire with maybe a little bit of equity um, and things like that, versus bringing in somebody at, at a junior level and training them up to a certain, you know, like I, I always struggle with with it's a big it's a big bullet to bite at some point yeah. to to bring somebody on who essentially I'm paying more than I'm even willing to pay myself at the moment as a startup founder and CEO because they have more experience, at, at what point should you really start considering bringing in that person? Because from my perspective at this point, it seems like an operator that's a true operator would be extremely helpful for me so that I can pull myself completely out of day-to-day and give it to somebody that I know is extremely competent at building that. Yeah. And that could be for either either either, either of you. <laughs> Back to you, John.
2: Well, yeah. I, I I think that first hire like that is such a great question. We get this, Travis, all the time. I really appreciate you going there with this. We often work with uh, companies that are sitting on, I don't know whether you've gotten any seed funding and where your funding is, but when you get those millions of dollars, there's an expectation by the investors that you will begin hiring people. And I don't know where, where that pivot point is around that. i do know that people often wait too long to hire. I'm not sure where you are in your product life cycle. Sometimes you can get the right skill sets that you need without hiring a C-suite person. So it may be that I don't know where the product market fit is and you can get good people at you know better dollar amounts. But when you scale and you get money and you grow and you're now 30 to 50 people, then it's time to start thinking about hiring that Individual that will really scale the organization. And that's a whole question around fit of C suite people, their experience from the apples of the world into the startup world and how they fit the culture. But I don't know. I I would want to look at product and market fit and where you are and customers and make that decision and cash and do the right financial analysis to decide before you actually jump into a person. But I will tell you that people often will say, I waited too long. To yep. hire the operator. Mm-hmm. I've waited too long. I don't know, Andrew, what your thoughts about that are, but yeah.
3: it's interesting. I see a lot of solo founders wanting to kind of hire a lot of junior people, as you said. And mm-hmm. what that what ends up happening is they find that just makes them busier. Sure. Because then they just have more, more heads to manage, as opposed to hiring a peer and then getting that leadership leverage. And then suddenly you've widened the whole base of the business, right? Mm-hmm. You've created. This well, one you have someone to um, kick ideas around with. You got someone to hold you accountable, right? You have really a partner in the business. I was running a, a a solo coaching firm in New York, and it was going fairly well. And as soon as John and I started working together, it was just like pff, off to the races yeah. for both of us. You know, it just really grew so much faster because we could hold each other accountable. We could, you know, share ideas and share the responsibility of leading the business. Sure,
0: sure. Uh, okay, so uh, I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll hold <laughs> off with with my, with my selfish questions if we have time at the end. <laughs> this episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with. Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. I want to get back into you know, some, of, some of this coaching stuff with you guys. Uh, this question is for both of you, but we'll start with John first. Yeah. Is there somebody that you're always looking to for advice as a, as a coach you're always giving advice. You're always helping people. Yeah, is there? Is there? Yeah. Are there certain people that have been in your life that you've always con- kind of been looking up to or have been mentors to you? Yeah, there's a lot of models that I have for, for good CEO leadership. I mean, I've worked at Apple so long. I mean, I think uh, this is
2: over 25 years at Apple. I'm still doing work there. There's a lot of things I admire about Tim Cook, for example. Just, I mean, we've done so much work around coaching people at Apple through the sort of you know focus he's given to coaching because at Apple coaching is just really important. So I, I look to the way they position coaching, the way they look at coaching, the way they lead people at Apple. And I also like the way he leads around value. So there's a lot of models that I look at. Mm-hmm. My own coach, I would say Edward is one. Edward, if I have a coaching issue or a problem that I'm having and I exchange things back and forth. I mean, how do I do this? I'm stuck. I need to reset with this client. How do I go forward? And then I would say my wife, because we've been married over 50 years. So I That's would say right. that because, you know, we've just, uh, we were high school sweethearts. Actually, we knew each other in high school. We were best friends all through high school. She knows me very well. And she always has a different perspective on things. She'll say, have you thought about this? Mm. Uh, you should ask that question. She's very good at at asking questions and getting me to ask more questions. Mm. Um so I would say she's probably my uh my my go-to person. Awesome. Edward, same question.
3: Obviously John is an incredible resource. I'm lucky to to work with uh, uh someone like John Baird who has so much experience and not just in the in the realm of coaching but also just life experience, you know. Sure. And you know, one of the advantages I have of running a company with some of the top Coaches in the world is I have incredible people around me I can um, call upon all the time. A couple coaches in particular are coming to mind who I'll reach out to for um, advice. I will ask for coaching. One of our coaches just stopped by my place this morning here in New York. Edward, can we go for a walk? I want to. I need a coaching session. Yeah. And we and and I coached her. My coach mm-hmm. lives down the street, uh, who's also one of our coaches, Andy Elwood. So. I rely on it, for me it kind of takes a village there isn't that one person yeah. as yeah. much as it's a community that we've built here at velocity where we're all supporting and coaching each other sure. and it, I think it elevates all of us and elevates our craft and coaching can be a lonely business mm. you know a lot of coaches come to us and like I didn't know there was a community like this out there mm. you know yeah. because there's a lot of coaching platforms like kind of like Tinder for coaching but you don't get together with other coaches it's not a learning environment. And we've created this learning environment. So we're all elevating each other.
0: When it comes to landing some of these clients that you guys work with, what systems or processes are there in place, if any, for generating new business, prospecting clients at that type of a level? Like These are clients that... Who knows? I mean, thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of firms are trying to permeate Fortune 500 companies. And you guys are in at Fortune ten at the at the highest level of that. Uh, has that been mostly through relationships, time in the industry, referrals? Yeah. Uh, how, how do you guys How do you guys look at that? We'll start with uh, We'll start with John
2: Edward. Well, I think Edward on okay. this one, I, it, and I'll, I'll jump in on this one. But I think yeah. this is yeah, this is one that you lead in our company for sure. Yeah,
3: yeah. I mean, you know, Travis, it's funny at this point, people call us. That's that's our wholesale strategy.
0: That's the place to We've be. we
3: built. A, you know, a book of clients, CEOs talk to each other, have heads of HR talk to each other. And I think we've built a reputation where when you know, the CEO of a company is looking for a coach, um, she'll call her colleagues, she'll call other folks in the business and say, luckily enough for us, many of them say, call Velocity. And I mm-hmm. think that's been the secret to our success so far. We also have great relationships in the venture community. Really um, very lucky to count firms like Mayfield and Sapphire and Thrive and um, half a dozen others as our friends and colleagues. And, you know, we tell them send us your top decile companies, right? Send us the ones that you just invested in where you want to add some rocket fuel to their growth, mm-hmm. as opposed to sending us your laggards. Our coaching is not about, is not remedial. Our coaching is very forward-looking. It's very proactive. And it's for folks who they're like, all right, now that I'm in the Olympics, I want to win that gold medal. I'm going to hire a coach and I want to go to velocity. Yeah. John, anything you'd add there?
2: No, I think you said it well. I mean, it's interesting. We do coach Travis, the stars. We coach the ones that want to be coached. First of all, that, I mean, the the idea of getting somebody that says you must have a coach, this is happening a lot. I mean, a lot of the startup uh, venture firms are saying, we'll give you all this money. You have to have a coach. We like it when people come to us and have a commitment, a willingness a readiness to be coached. We we actually have a process by assessing that, right? Mm -hmm. And there also also has to be, I find, I don't know, Edward, how you feel about this. And we've talked about this. There has to be a little bit of pain uh, there. Like there's there's like, I don't get this. I'm not good at this. Uh, My team is responding, not responding well. I have a meeting and I throw out an idea. No one contributes to the the idea at all. It's like, they. so you have to have a felt need. So I I like it when people are in pain. I mean, I I find that when people are struggling with an issue and they reach out, I mean, most good coaches have coaches. Most therapists have therapists. Most good therapists have therapists. So this idea of working with someone who can actually help them get to the right place is good. So I, I want an openness. to to being able to coach them totally, the total person, not just the person building the business, but that person who's in that role. So, yeah, I mean, we we get a lot of referrals, but we also want to make sure those people are ready and willing to be coached. Readiness for coaching is a key
0: concept for Velocity. Sure, making sure that the people that you're taking on are going to get good results so that it does result in more referrals anyway. Yeah, yeah. That answer basically was what I was kind of expecting to be said, uh, and and the reason I asked it is because this is this is build your network. We talk a ton yeah. about relationships yeah. and yeah. the power and importance of on doing doing things on purpose, engaging in activities on purpose, having a budget even that will allow you to increase the quality of your network on a more yeah. exponential basis rather than an incremental basis, because we found that it. Tends to shorten the timeline to success for most people. I'm curious to hear if you guys have any sort of specific relationship building strategies that you implement at the firm. Uh, Anything that, you know, from client dinners to specific, you know, Zoom calls or coaching sessions or strategies or anything that helps you to on purpose build more relationships with potential clients or referral partners or venture capital firms or anything like that.
2: Well, we should, Edward, talk about the Duchess retreats and some of the dinners and, some of those things that we have done and are doing. We're doing less of that right now because, Travis, a lot of work is coming to us. But we should talk about relationship building because I think that's a piece that's really important to Velocity. And we do want to talk yeah. about Duchess and dinner? Yeah, for
3: sure. Yeah. In the in the early years, Travis, um, we had an annual retreat, founder retreat, where we'd hand select 12 founders from the community. Um, some would fly in from the West Coast. We had founders down from Toronto and from the New York area, and we'd spend a three-day weekend with them. Mm-hmm. In an intensive um, coaching environment, really, there was a fit very clear agenda. Everyone got one on one coaching. We did fishbowl coaching where we just put one of us and one of them in the middle of the room and everyone' sitting around. Um, you know, we had campfires and sing-alongs and cooked dinners together, did some gardening. And it was this incredible bonding experience for what was each year sixteen of us, four coaches and twelve founders. Mm-hmm. And that really became the 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 seed crystal of growing the velocity community. We did that two years in a row. I think it was 18 and 19. And um, we were already off to the races in terms of working with a lot of founders, but we wanted to, as you said, exponentially kind of like create a step change in our reputation and in our network. And by inviting in these different founders who from different communities, and we we sourced them through like founders pledge, right? These organizations that where a lot of founders were going and sharing ideas and, and being in community to, with each other, we were able to create new seed crystals in new markets. Mm. So like the Toronto startup market has been very hot for us since the uh, first Duchess retreat. retreat yeah. uh, we were able to build a community of founders in Los Angeles, right? So mm. now we do founders dinners, as you said. Um, I host some at my home here in the West Village. John has had uh, some founders down to his place in Santa Cruz, where they go out to the beach together, and we're also trying to spend time in places where like-minded people tend to hang out, right? Mm. So I just got back from TED in Vancouver. I am excited to go um, heli skiing next winter, right? It's like, you know, these are places where people who are doing really cool things tend to go, right?
1: Yeah, sure. And sure. I think
3: it's sometimes it's a it's a pretty high ticket to get into these events or to to do these activities, they're, I would say, uh, very privileged to be able to do those things. Sure. But it's also where you meet people. It's like the new country club, mm-hmm. right? right? Is going heli
0: skiing or something like that. Yeah. And and I mean, I would say the principles remain the same, no matter what level yeah. you're able to invest at, right? It's, yeah. can, can you do yeah. the local dinner first? And then next exactly. time you do the retreat. And then next time you do the next thing and, you know, keep scaling that up as you continue going.
2: I, th- yeah. I think, uh, Travis, having a, a network strategy and being very intentional about it is so important for people. I have a client right now that where the company has just grown to 150, it's growing more, and there's an interest in wanting to brand the CEO more. It's an individual who, who isn't networking a lot. So we developed this mm. strategy around looking at sort of first ring, first, who are those people that are in your immediate network, Yeah, mm. but also know other people in the next network, the next circle, then mm-hmm. who is it in that broader circle that if you could have a conversation with them, you could. There's a lot of people in my life as I look up, I wish I had had a network strategy even more. I mean, the companies grew in spite of it, but I wish I would have said, I should have talked to so-and-so about this because mm-hmm. I could have gotten some advice to scale faster. Mm. So the concentric circles, first level, second, third level, is a great strategy for people but spend time and be intentional because it will pay off with the right people and the right venue and the right event and the right outcomes. But be intentional about that. Yeah.
0: Sure. Yeah, I'm curious too about how the how the book helps you guys uh, maybe get into doors that mm-hmm. uh, potentially would be closed. Is that something that that you guys think about as you're approaching some uh, a book of this uh, magnitude? Sure. I
3: mean, you know, part of the reason we wrote the book is uh, we realized that our message, our style of coaching wasn't really represented in a lot of the major business books out there. There's a lot of like listicle books, there's a lot of like personal memoirs, there's a lot of like, you know, 25 hacks for how to be a better leader, morning routines, etc. and we thought, you know what? Like we really work with our clients to have rich, deep connected conversations with their employees, with their teams, and that's where the that's where the connection comes from. That's where the motivation comes from. That's where the feeling of safety so that people can be maximally creative comes from. And, you know, we're only a small firm. We've got 25 coaches. We can only work with so many people. So we decided, you know, let's get that message out to more people. Yeah. yeah. And That's the good amazing. news is it's a message that resonates. Um, we just started selling the book now in pre-order. We've got, you know, close to 10,000 in, in bulk orders already wow. for the book uh, in terms of, you know, people want us to come speak at conferences. They want us to come and uh, give their Uh, employees, uh, like a two-hour seminar on the principles of leading with heart. Mm -hmm. And it is a calling card, right? Like ask any author. It's a very powerful calling card to be able to um, share the book with someone, to Mm -hmm. be able to say, happy to come into your company and talk with your employees about the principles in this book. And we're really hopeful that this is one of those books that speaks to people, right? Mm -hmm. Because it is very much a heartfelt view Of leadership, there's too many people. As John said at the top of the session, too many people are leaving their jobs right now because they're dealing with toxic leadership, toxic Mm -hmm. cultures. Right, a lot of people are out there with a scarcity mindset. They're operating out of a position of fear. Mm -hmm. And you know, one of the main focuses of this book is to help people talk through their fear with their colleagues. Right, we should be able to show up at the office as human beings, as who we really are. Right, and say like I'm actually experiencing some fear right now, and rather than have a bad experience with you in this meeting, I want to take a few minutes and just talk about why I'm a little triggered right now. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't that be something different, as opposed to everyone's just suited up and armored up and having like this weird passive aggressive
0: exchange? Yeah, with a veneer of yeah of bravery that's bravery,
2: just not. And I think the other thing with that is that there's such a strong component in the book around being able to lead with empathy and empathy is a word used a lot, but I don't think a lot of people know what it really means to be empathic, to be curious, right? Curiosity is a huge part of the book. And, you know, we get a lot of reactions around, you know, what do I do when somebody has a strong reaction on a team? Well, people tend Travis to react, to react judgmentally, et cetera, rather than being curious, Uh, What does it mean to be curious? It means to wait and find out what is going on with that person. Uh, We have this little thing that Edward and I kind of put together called the uh, five to 10 minute wait rule, which is when somebody is explosive or is giving a point of view that's different, you actually have to wait five to 10 minutes and explore why that person feels that way. Mm -hmm. Ask more questions. What's going on there? What does it mean? Say more about that. You sound really upset about that. It's hard to wait 5 to 10 minutes to actually hear a person. So getting curious about thoughts and ideas, I mean transformational leaders that lead with heart, they are curious and they know how to be curious and how to hear voices. Mm-hmm. A lot of voices are not heard in the workplace these days. Mm-hmm. So how do you hear voices and then do something about it? So it's a powerful message in the book and it's one we've wanted to actually bring out to people on how that looks and
0: how do you build cultures like that? Yeah, it's such a it's such a basic human need to feel heard, understood, appreciated, and empowered. And, yes. and yes. you would think that people whose core job it is to lead other people yeah. would be very interested in how they could help their people feel heard, understood, understood. Empowered and etc. So, uh, man, I, I really appreciate you guys uh, bringing that up because that's something that we talk about here on the show a lot. Obviously, as it comes up in relationships and uh, and things like that. And uh, I was curious on on the book and how it kind of involves your networking strategy and stuff. So that's one of the things one of the things that we do with our agency is we we help uh, kind of startup founders like that who uh, who haven't really worked on their personal branding or haven't really gotten themselves out there. And we help them with uh uh, doing content tours and building their own podcast just to get their foot in the door with people who they want to talk to because i've been blown away with with build your network on how many people i've been able to have conversations with that is just like how how like how, how am I sitting down face to face with Shaquille O'Neal right now, a childhood hero right. of mine? Like yeah, the podcast right. opens the door, and it's just like, why are more people doing this? Even if yeah. you get zero yeah. downloads, just interview some people, you know. Exactly. Um, but have That's a strategy exciting. in place yeah. is is yeah. the overarching. Yeah, it uh, is having being, a
2: strategy so. is key, and I, I love the fact we saw who you were interviewing. I thought, oh my,
0: I'd love to sit down with Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> yeah, he, <laughs> it was incredible. I, I wish, I, 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 I hope person. one day I can do it in person because that would be even yes. yes, yes. Well, Edward, John, I, I know you guys have got a ton of other stuff going on. I know you're probably going crazy on the book promo and everything right now, but uh, obviously it's going really well. Uh, congrats on all the success you had. Congrats on the pre-orders of the, of the book. If you're listening right now, Leading with Heart John Baird, Edward Sullivan, please go pick up a copy of this book. I know, uh, I know that I'm definitely going to be checking it out um, and uh, and and reading it for for my own company and things like that. Thank you guys for uh, spending some time with uh, with me today. Thanks for letting me be a little bit selfish and asking a couple of personal <laughs> questions about my business.
1: Uh, this is, this was is a lot fun. of fun. I had a great time with yeah. you. Guys. Yeah. Thank you so much. We had
2: fun too. Thanks, Travis. Thanks for having
1: us. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapelcom group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. This is the story of the one.